Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And Rabbi Shmuley Vitaic challenges the rise of anti-Semitism. Journey's Jonathan Cain performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Pilgrim. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Man, that was some wonderful audience reaction. Way better than a golf clap. You know what I'm talking about there? The little polite golf clap. This audience is way more wired than that. And I'm very happy about that. All right, folks, gotta tell you, I have seen some disturbing videos in my life. But I gotta think hard about more disgusting footage than of some pathetic losers in New York City spraying the New York Police Department officers with water hoses and dumping water over their heads. Now, the officers showed far greater discipline than I could have or would have. They deliberately and casually walked away, even while being assaulted by the street thugs who were obviously quite proud of themselves, thinking it funny to drench police officers with water. What they really drenched them with was stupidity, contempt, and disrespect. Now, the police officers demonstrated great restraint to keep the situation from escalating had they attempted to arrest them or maybe use their stun guns to apprehend them. But they also walked away because they knew full well that their hapless New York City Mayor, Bill de Blasio, would have taken the side of the hooligans with hoses rather than his city's cops, who by anyone's standards are not just New York's finest, but perhaps the world's finest police force. The mayor and wannabe President de Blasio has so alienated the rank-and-file police officers in his city that when he walks into a room, his officers physically turn their backs on him since they feel that he figuratively turns his back on them every single day. Even as they put their very lives on the line for New York City, its residents, as well as its visitors. Now, my immediate reaction was to hope that the police chief would announce that the police would no longer enter that neighborhood. And if someone saw a crime or was the victim of a crime, don't call the cops. Just call the hoodlums with the garden hoses and the buckets and let them take care of it. Because yeah. as shameless as it was to see the water weasels douse the cops, it was equally shameful that the people observing it all did not seek to intervene or help the policemen, but instead took out their phones, shot video, and laughed. I find nothing funny about assaulting police officers. Today it was water. Next it might be bleach or battery acid. But even if it was just words, it reveals a total lack of decency as well as a disrespect for the rule of law and for those who try to enforce it and protect all the people. I believe it really comes down to a lack of proper parenting. Because kids don't grow up to be that naturally stupid, hateful, or lawless. Somebody's got to bring them up like animals in the wild rather than as responsible human beings. So to the police officers of our country, I just want to say this. These criminals do not represent all of America. And they don't even deserve your protection, even though you continue to give it to them. I hope those who did this are identified, arrested, and punished to the fullest extent of the law. Because... <laughs> taking a shot, whether with water or a bullet at a police officer, is taking a shot at the law itself and everyone who seeks to respect and obey it. And on behalf of millions like me, I want to say thank you to the men and women of our police agencies. You aren't perfect, but neither, neither are the people that you strive to protect. You deserve our thanks, but also you deserve our respect, our profound respect. My first guest tonight has a rich and varied career. 
He was first in his class at West Point, then serving as a captain in the 7th Cavalry of the U.S. Army, graduating from Harvard Law School, becoming a Kansas congressman, then headed to CIA. Mike Pompeo has served his country well. He is the current and 70th Secretary of State. I recently had a chance to sit down with him on a variety of issues, starting with the growing threat to our friends in Israel and Europe. Is Iran testing the waters with the U.S. and the U.K. and other European nations? I mean, you're trying to figure out, what are they doing? Uh, pushing buttons, seeing what the response is going to be? Or do they really want to escalate this entire world into another global war? The president described their government as crazy yesterday. I, I, think, I think that's accurate in the sense of, I think they don't know how to respond. Uh, but what they know how to do is terror. They've been doing it for 40 years. Uh, when uh, when the world pushes back against them, uh, they give a little space, but then they act out again. Uh, we, we've asked them for the simple thing to behave like a normal nation, right? Don't build out uh, a terror program. Don't don't try and blow up ambassadors in Washington, D.C. Uh, your missile program, defensive, okay. If you need weapons to defend yourself, fine. Uh, but you don't need nuclear weapons to do that. Th these are simple things we've asked them. What you're seeing, I think, uh, is the campaign that we have placed uh, on the Iranian leadership is working. That is, it's reducing their capacity to have wealth, to arm Hezbollah, to underwrite uh, militias throughout the Middle East. And they see that uh, impact on their power, and they're trying to find a way to dislodge that. Uh, and President Trump's been very clear, we're not going to, we're not going to let that happen. Contrast what's happening there now with what was happening in the previous administration, when they basically just unloaded pallets of cash and said, here you go. It so rewarded the Islamic of, uh, Republic of Iran's leadership. It said, you can do, you can do all of these things. During the JCPOA, uh, they had continued to do uh, elements of their nuclear program in terms of uh, they still could enrich uranium. They still had the capacity to do some level of research and build up. They were still building, launching missiles. Uh, they were still conducting terror campaigns. And instead, what the JCPOA did is it says, we're not going to touch any of that. We're going to give you a bunch of money so that you can hire, train, equip, uh, get all the human capital you need. Uh, we were rewarding for them, the, them for this bad behavior, and President Trump has taken a 180-degree different approach. We've done so in a way where America is not isolated. Uh, we've got partners not only in our deep fundamental ally, Israel, who is also threatened by Iran, uh, but Gulf states. Uh, and even on many elements of our program, many European countries understand the risk to their own people and are right alongside of us. You brought up Israel. Uh, there was so much pressure on the president about moving the embassy that it was going to just create flames all over the Middle East. That never happened. I mean, the president's instincts were dead right on this. President Trump comes at this fresh. Uh, he looks at things that we've done as a matter of history and says, did they work? What's the reality on the ground? And when he stared at this problem set, I think he understood that uh, this was the right, the honorable thing today, not to mention there was a law yeah. requiring it. Yeah. Uh, but, but this was the proper thing to do. It recognized the reality on the ground that Israel had the right for this city to be its capital and that the United States ought to recognize it. And so did it uh, in spite of many folks inside the government saying it's a bad idea, it'll create chaos. Um, we did all that we could to mitigate that, to reduce risk, uh, but in the end, uh, I think made a decision which will redound to the historic benefit of the United States of America. The president has also uh, given you and the government instructions on China about putting pressure on them, uh, not only in the way that they have cheated on the trade deals, um, but also against intellectual theft, uh, which has hurt a lot of American companies. What President Trump has done effectively is he said, no more. Um, we're going we're gonna to only demand that you treat us the same way we treat you, that our trade relationship will be fair and reciprocal, and uh, you have to treat our companies with respect. If you want to invest in America, fantastic. We'd welcome that. Uh, but it's going to be on terms that are identical to when American businesses want to invest in China. Uh, that's appropriate. It's transparent. It's difficult. Uh, the Chinese are resisting for all the reasons that you can guess. Uh, but in the end, the president's got the right end of the stick on this, and we're determined to get a good outcome for the American people. Why <laughs> hasn't that been the approach of the United States going back? And again, this isn't a partisan issue. We're talking Democrat, Republican alike. Have kind of let China just run their own way. Why did that happen before? Why did the president see it like I think most Americans see it as a point yeah. of common sense? 
Boy, it's, it's hard to know. I, I think the answer is this. It was a big market and American businesses wanted to be there mm. and we wanted them to be there. Uh, but I think the history has shown, I think, I think uh, time has shown that, and I've talked to many uh, uh, business leaders who say, yeah, we went to China. We, we look like a big market. We thought we could do really good things there. And we always believed we'd make money next year, <laughs> that we'd be treated appropriately and that these things would change, that if we just went there and engaged, that the nature of the regime would change. And that's just proven to be false. And, and President Trump has called that out and said, no, we're going to fix this. We're going to do our best to fix it completely, and we're going to do so now. Uh, that's hard. Uh, and there has been disruption associated with that. Uh, it's not it's not free uh, to get there. It's it's hard stuff to get these trade deals right is, is not easy. But President Trump is determined to do it. It will benefit American workers for decades to come when we get this relationship right. And I'm very confident that we ultimately will. The president's been a real leader in the area of religious liberty, not just to the United States, but across the world. Uh, you obviously have been very outspoken on the issue of religious liberty for our allies and, and for partners across the world. Why is this important? A couple of weeks now ago, we held the second ministerial here where we brought countries from all around the world, uh, Baha'is, uh, Jews, Muslims, Christians, uh, they were all here. Uh, and it was remarkable to watch them talk about religious freedom in their own country. And we got to hear from uh, persecuted individuals, people who had really suffered when their religious freedom was denied or worse yet, they were jailed or punished uh, for simply acting out their faith. Uh, that's deeply immoral and wrong. And the United States has a responsibility to at the very least identify that and call it out. You've had quite the biography. I mean, having uh, grown up in California, you go uh, West Point, first in your class, that's pretty significant. Harvard Law, uh, business operator and owner, member of Congress, uh, head of the CIA, now heading the State Department, I got to think maybe there's uh, other things out there in Secretary Pompeo's future. Love for you to go ahead and disclose what that might be. Feel free. Whatever's next, the, uh, the good Lord will drive us to the right place. I'm confident of that. And uh, I'm very focused on delivering on behalf of President Trump and the American people. Well, there have been no failures in uh, the Mike Pompeo story so far. I just want to say how grateful we are that you're in the position you're in and serving this country and this president and Truly a delight to visit with you today. Thank, Thank you, you. Thank you, Governor. Great to see you. Our thanks to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo for making that interview possible. Now, if you'd like to know more about the Secretary and his work, you can visit state.gov slash secretary. Right there on your screen. Also, follow him on Twitter at SECSecPompeo. All right, Keith Bilbrey, there is no tariff on those that we brought in for the show tonight. Tariff-free. Why don't you tell us what's coming up? I would love to. Comedian and impressionist John C. Morgan takes the stage next. Later, a young man survives the streets of New York. Rabbi Shmuley Mateic stands up against anti-Semitism. And Journey's Jonathan Kane performs. Well, we are indeed very fortunate to be able to just book our next guest. Pretty big deal. Now, you've seen him in the news almost every single day. I think it's safe to say that he is the man who truly needs no introduction. Please welcome him to the show. Come on out. Thank you. Trust me, you are a fantastic crowd, and being here tonight with you is huge. I can tell you that, Mike, what a crowd. Quite a crowd here today. Adorable, deplorables, right? <laughs> and to the, all the millions of you watching, I say vote for me, and let's make this a slam dunk and make America great again. <laughs> again, yes. Now look, I know that you all know that I'm not really Donald Trump. Okay, would you like to meet the real me? Would you? Does, would you like to meet the real me? 
Great. How do you do? I'm George W. Bush. Oh, it's good to see you. And I approve of Trump's message. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you, thank you. I guess it's true what they say. You can't keep a man down good. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a, people say that I'm a globalist. Well, duh. The world isn't square. Whoever thinks that should be locked up in a padded trapezoid. <laughs> uh, you know what? Scientists also say that I'm dyslexicon. That's just stew dip. I wish Laura could be with me here tonight. Lovely Laura. You know, when I th first met her, she was a librarian. <laughs> That's why I checked her out in the first place. <laughs> she helps me with my peculiar vernacular. Vernacular. She helps me with my speech. You know, being an influencer is a lot like influenza. Both are contagious. That's communication. And communication is the most important part of talking. That's right. Good communication is only 15% verbal, which in my case is a good thing. Ah. <laughs> uh, Although I often boogerize my English, I'll have you know, I am fluent in over nine different body languages, some of which I had to give up when I got saved. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Communication starts with the letter C, and I like the letter C because it's also a word. I see you. A three-letter sentence that's so important that every hospital has a wing named after it. <laughs> C is good, but D is my favorite letter. You know why? Because it's the first letter in the word W. <laughs> so in closing, whether you're a liberal or a Democrat, a conservative or Republican, please vote, please pray, please do your best for the good old U.S. of A. God bless you. Thank you, Pete. Uh, appreciate to have you. It's so honored. This is a fun thing, and I've known you when you first started in this uh, whole endeavor when people said, do you know how much you look like <laughs> President Bush? I mean, what were you doing before this all started and turned into a career? Well, I was working in my mom and dad's appliance store. But in my heart, there was something that I knew was gonna come up. Yeah. But I had no idea it was gonna be weird like this. <laughs> and, and what happened? Did somebody just come up to you, more than one person, and say, man, you look like? Started happening almost every day, Mike. Yeah. And uh, after a while, somebody said, hey, you know, there's this emerging industry of lookalikes. And I'm like, I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> but, but Mike, I prayed about it. Yeah. And after doing that, I felt like uh, God wanted me to do it. So it's been so much fun speaking to corporate audiences, Christian audiences, and all around the world, even China. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I gotta be honest, I've seen you at times on stage, and I thought, he's a better Bush than Bush is. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> W is uh, not a comedian, but he's an excellent <laughs> world leader. <laughs> He's seen you do this, too, many times, hasn't he? I, I, I don't know that for a fact, but I have met him. I've shaken his hand, and he leaned over and said, if I had a face like mine, I'd be mad as hell. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I have loved is that you have also, you've been very bold about your personal faith. That's mm -hmm. something that didn't happen after the impersonation career. Uh, but you've, you've been able to really be a strong and bold witness because the platform God's given you all over the world. It's really amazing. Uh, who I am at my core is an impersonator of Jesus Christ, as it says in Ephesians 5. And so, oh, thank you. When, when I speak at corporate audiences, not so much. I, I try to let my faith speak through the way I serve and the way I do excellence. But when I'm in Christian audiences, I want to encourage folks 
to be all in because that's where the good stuff is. But it's got to be a lot of fun to meet people and to see the smiles on their faces, a lot of joy. It is. It's fantastic. And it's fun. Like, I got hired for the president's second inauguration mm. to do a, a fun thing, and it was a hoot walking up to random Secret Service guys going, excuse me, where am I supposed to be? <laughs> uh, you've also got a book I want to mention. Uh, this is a, a great book called War on Fear. What would you do if you were not afraid? You think a lot of people are fearful in life, and that's why you need to give this message? Well, I know I was. I, I wrote the book to overcome my own fear, mm. and I found it has resonated with a lot of, lot of folks. My friend Alan Robertson of Duck Dynasty wrote yeah. the forward to it, and you've got a little blurb on the back cover as well. And it's still sold, which is very <laughs> wonderful that people, even with my endorsement, they still bought the book, and I hope our audience will, because I don't know of anybody that does not go through some issues of fear, maybe fear of public speaking, or fear of failing, or fear of... Uh, maybe not being liked in the workplace. Whatever that fear is, that's what you address in the book, War on Fear. John, thrilled to have you here. This has been a great honor. Thank Thanks, you sir. so much for being here. John C. Morgan. Now to keep up with John C. Morgan or to hire him to entertain your group, you can also hire him to make a custom video or get his books. My Life is a Bush, and the one that I was just mentioning, War on Fear, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Well, don't be afraid to visit johncmorgan.com. You can also follow at George Bush Impersonator on Facebook. Now, our fearless announcer, Keith Bilbrey, he's not a least bit afraid, and he's going to tell us what's coming up after the break. No, I'm not afraid. It wouldn't be prudent. Next, meet a young man from Africa who got caught up in the world of street crime. Then, Rabbi Shmuley Mateyak challenges the rise of anti-Semitism in America. And Journey's Jonathan Cain shares his new solo project. When my next guest was just five years old, living in Nigeria and in a wealthy family, his father died, and the government stripped his family of their remaining livelihood. In a desperate act to provide for her family, his mother brought them to New York. After years of searching for father figures on the streets of the Bronx, God used the Navy SEALs to save his life. Here to share this remarkable story is Remy Adeleke. Hey. Remy, how you doing? Delighted to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Your story sounds like something that some fiction writer would have put together. <laughs> I get that all the time. I, I mean, your Nigerian yes, sir. royal family. I'm yes. thinking, yeah, you sent me some emails, yeah, some probably. money. <laughs> uh, I got those from you. Yeah. Um, but seriously, you you were from a wealthy Nigerian family. Yes, yes. When your father died, everything fell apart. Yeah, yeah, the Nigerian government being very corrupt at the time and even now to a certain extent, they stripped my father of his most valuable asset and that's the Banana Island. My dad had invested millions and millions of dollars in this project to develop one of the first man-made islands in the world. And mm. when they took that from him and my dad went to go battle him in court, he died days later. And we went from rich, having absolutely everything, traveling the world, nannies, cars, drivers, to poor. And uh, that's what my mom said, there's no way I'm raising my two boys here. And she permanently relocated us to the States. And that had to have been a culture shock to get to New York and the Bronx. Uh, you got into some trouble yeah. as a kid. Yeah. What yeah. happened? Yeah, you know, I, not, not having a father figure, I got caught up in in the and what what I had seen so much, you know. Yeah. So I got, you know, I started out stealing from my mom and then that progressed to selling drugs and then that progressed to running high level scams. And by the time I was nineteen I was had built this illegal enterprise where I was bringing in thousands and thousands of dollars a week. The Navy doesn't take people like you, Remy. <laughs> they don't they don't want people like <laughs> exactly, you. Exactly. So exactly. how in the heck did you get in the Navy and then the SEALs. Yeah, I was blessed. I, you know, I, I went to the recruiter's office one day and I ran into the right person. And, you know, God strategically led me to this recruiter, Tiana Reyes, and she was from the Bronx. Mm. So after she ran my background and she found out I had two warrants from, uh, out for my arrest, 
instead of turning me in, because she knew the statistics, she took a risk on me. She took me to both judges, the judge in New Jersey and the judge in New York. Both of them expunged my record after she advocated on my behalf. And then she fudged the paperwork to sneak me into the Navy. And, she, and that's how I got in the Navy. Um, she died four years later, I found out. She died of a very rare autoimmune disease. Oh, but wow. yeah, she was my angel, you know. But before that, she saved your life. Yes, 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 absolutely. Now, and you it, get into the Navy. Yeah. You, I mean, did you say, I think I want to be a SEAL. I'm going to do the <laughs> hardest thing in the military. Yeah. I'm going to be a SEAL. Yeah, it kind of happened that way. I, I went to, and when I got to boot camp, a SEAL came, and he put on a presentation about what SEALs do, and I was like, I know I can't swim, I don't have the academic scores, I'm skinny, but I want to be a frogman. <laughs> and so it took me a year to finally get prepped to, you know, to get accepted into a program, but I eventually got in. So uh, fast forward a little bit. I mean, yeah. you, you serve your country, mm -hmm. you, you have a remarkable career yeah. as a Navy SEAL, but then you get into things like acting. Yeah. In, in the movie Transformers, <laughs> yeah. for heaven's sake. I was in grad school writing papers, and my phone <laughs> rings, and on the other end of the line is a lady, and she's like, hey, a director's looking for somebody with your background to be in a film. What are you doing tomorrow? And literally... That's it? That's how it happened. That's how it happened. Next day I'm on set, that one day turned into three weeks, three weeks turned into six months, and and my film career, film TV career started. <laughs> so one of the things that comes through in your writing and in your conversation mm -hmm. is a love of God. Amen. And, and you see him as a father figure. Amen. How important mm -hmm. is it that young men see fathers mm -hmm. in their lives that love them, protect them, care for them, lead them? It's 100%. I mean, when you look at my story, why I went down the path I went down was because I didn't have a positive male role model to get in my face mm. and say, that's not right, that's right. And so for me now as a father, I have three sons, huh. you know, so I feel like I have this, this redemptive arc now, but I have this responsibility to, to be in my kids' lives and to show them what love is and to show them what grace is and what leadership is and integrity. And it's, it's so important. I want my sons to be 10 times better men than I could ever be because they had a father in their mm. life. What I'm hearing you say, yeah. without any doubt, yeah. is that dads still have a very important role to play. Yeah, I think every young boy needs a man to teach him how to be a man. And every young girl needs a man to teach her how to be loved by a man, mm. you know, so that when she grows up, she has that example. And when he grows up, you know, he, he knows how to lead that girl properly, or that wife, or that woman properly. So, so I, I agree with you 100%. What did you learn? And uh, yeah, give him a nice hand for that. He is exactly right. <laughs> What did you learn as a SEAL that you've been able to translate into your life as a dad? Wow, so much. <laughs> well, the big thing is, is, is every great leader will never make you do something that they have not done or that they are not willing to mm. do. And so that's something I learned in the SEAL teams, you know. And when my platoon leader was like, hey, climb that mountain, he either did it or he, he, did, he was doing it with me. Yeah. And so as a father, I try to... If I tell my sons, hey, that's how you need to treat a woman, then I better be treating my wife that way. If I tell my sons, this is what integrity is, I need to be showing integrity. So that's, that for me is just that, that, that stellar example of a leader. That's something that was ingrained in me in SEAL training. And then also, you know, whatever you do, do with excellence. Don't halfway it. You know, that was something that was literally beaten to me in the SEAL training. <laughs> and it's something that I, I try to pass on to my kids. You know, you're not gonna be perfect. Life is not, no one's perfect, yeah. but strive towards that perfection, that excellence. Remy, can I tell you something? You're doing movies now and that's part of your life. Yes, sir. There needs to be a movie about your life. <laughs> yes, sir. This book ought to be made into a movie. It'll be one of the most inspirational movies. Thank you. And the great thing is, it'll be true. And. Yes, I hope people will read the book and they'll join me in saying to Hollywood, hey, make a movie out of this. It's really good. Be sure to pick up a copy of Remy's book. It's called Transform. You can get it online or through other major book retailers. It is a life changer for men and especially for fathers. So if you're a dad, check out this book. And you can follow Remy on social media at Remy Adelake. Keith, what other transformative guests do we have coming up tonight? Well, the funny side of the news is coming up on In Case You Missed It. Then Rabbi Shmuley Bateyek and Jonathan Kane joins us right here on Huckabee.
And Trey Corley and the Music City Connection rocking it tonight. Welcome back to our show and welcome with the great music of Trey and the band. Thank you guys over there. Now, if you're already a subscriber to my free newsletter, then you know that the revised cost of the Democrats' Green New Deal now makes the previous $92 trillion over 10 years estimate look like a drop of organic hemp oil in the bucket. I'm pretty sure that we're all gonna need a little CBD if this is ever passed in Congress. Now, if you want a conservative but fair and entertaining take on what's going on in Washington, as well as our world, be sure to subscribe to my daily newsletter. And did I say it's free? And that's at MikeHuckabee.com. You can also follow me on social media at GovMikeHuckabee. It is also free, yet it comes with an ironclad money-back guarantee. Now that, my friend, is a modern miracle. Well, from troubled taxidermists to people running away with a circus, we've got the news that'll make you shout encore on a segment we call In Case You Missed It. Well, last week in Ohio, a trailer was stolen from the lot of the Cincinnati Circus Company. Ringmaster Dave Williker posted a photo on Facebook of a truck taking off with the trailer. Now, the thief may have been expecting to make a big score, but by now, he should have discovered a bed of nails, an electric chair, and a coffin. Funny how those things seem to go together in that order. Hey, Keith, do you know why the circus lion ate the tightrope walker? Uh, the only answer I could give you is politically incorrect, so I can't say it. But no, I, go ahead. Because he wanted a well-balanced meal. Oh, yeah. But it was all right, because the tightrope walker's job was always on the line. <laughs> Governor, don't you think that the thief was probably just living out a boyhood dream to run away with the circus? Or at least part of it, I mean. Well, I don't know, Trey. I mean, you made me think of my high school buddy who got hired as the human cannonball in a traveling circus. But then he left the circus after they fired him. <laughs> All right, let's move along. Yes, let's do that. All right, from our Florida man file comes a refreshing change, a Florida woman. Because down in Fort Pierce, Florida, a woman was arrested after paramedics answered a call at her apartment building. They left their ambulance running to respond to an emergency call. But when they returned with the patient, the ambulance was gone. Police say that Florida woman Amber Sills had hopped into the ambulance and stolen it. That's right, because, I mean, if you're going to steal a car, why not an ambulance? <laughs> she led the cops on a short chase for about three minutes until she suddenly stopped the ambulance by crashing it into a police car. <laughs> I guess you could call that a medical breakthrough. <laughs> Governor, did, yeah. did I ever tell you about the time I was bitten by a snake and the EMT in the ambulance asked me to describe it on the way to the hospital? Keith, I'm happy to say I don't think you've told me that. You know what I told him? No, what'd you tell I said, him? well, it was kind of like an angry rope. Angry? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Angry. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, the audience is trying to be polite, Keith. They really are. Well, that's what that looked like. Can't help it. Well, I bet you don't know why an ambulance is so slow, do you? I have no idea. It's because it's a patient transport. That's why. Mm. All right, back to our Florida woman, Amber Sills. She is facing a list of serious charges, including grand theft. But on the bright side, they can't bust her for running any red lights because, hey, she was driving an ambulance. You go. <laughs> hey, have you ever had that moment at home where you need to glue something together and make sure that it holds? Maybe like a broken kitchen utensil, a ceramic figurine, or a 38,000-pound truck. Well, Delo, a German adhesive company, set a Guinness record by holding a full-size truck over three feet off the ground with their glue for an hour. A DLO spokesperson said the glue was specifically designed for the record attempt. So look for DLO Guinness Book of World Record Truck Holding Glue the next time you shop Walmart. 
Governor, I, I hate to interrupt you, but do you know? No, you don't. You keep doing it. I know, but <laughs> this is just, it just struck me. Do you know the difference between a piano, a tuna, and a pot of glue? I'm afraid I don't, but I'm about to know. That's right. You can tune a piano, but you can't piano a tuna. What about the glue? I knew you was going to get stuck on that. Oh, Keith. <laughs> hey, folks, I want to apologize for Keith's poor choice of They're humor. Laughing. And by the way, I'm thinking about substituting some of that D-Lo glue stick for the chapstick of a real gossip I know. But mum's the word, okay? We'll just... All right, before we go, from our friends at badtaxidermy.com, I want to share a few fails in the ancient art of mounting and posing of animals. How about this one? The boxing raccoon, for instance. I'm sure you'd love that in your living room. Or here's one, the crazed fox at rest. Now, you might prefer the afroed lion. Or, for practical taxidermy, there's the rabbit toaster. And my favorite, the squirrel purse. And finally, whatever this is. <laughs> that's actually an animal that supposedly has been to the taxidermist. By the way, did you hear about the taxidermist who was also a veterinarian? He had a sign out front that says, either way, you get your dog back. <laughs> hey, and if, you <laughs> and if you just didn't get enough of these memorable works, you can always pick up a copy of a book, and it's actually called Crap Taxidermy, online <laughs> or at your local bookstore. I'm not making that up. Whoa, well, just like the candidates in last week's primary debate, we've run out of time. But never forget, we read the news. And now before we move on, we've got a special Facts of the Matter segment where I'm going to be addressing a few more news topics and answering a few viewer questions. It's available exclusively online at Huckabee.tv. So make sure you stop by for Facts of the Matter right after the show at Huckabee.tv. Keith, we've got some more stuff. I'm talking good stuff. And I think our audience has behaved well. We ought to tell them about it. So go ahead. I would love to. Why are American politicians turning their back on the Jewish people? Well, Rabbi Shmuley Mateik has some answers. Then Journey's Jonathan Cain performs, Don't Go Away. Recently, there's been a disturbing rise in anti-Semitic rhetoric and attacks on Israel from certain elected officials and an even more disturbing effort to excuse it. To discuss this trend, we welcome scholar, author, columnist, and America's rabbi, Shmuley Bodiak. I, I want to begin, first of all, just saying I never have recalled that anti-Semitic language was used by members of Congress and essentially glossed over. What's happened to create this? Elon Omar, Rashida Tlaib, I mean, they've broken ceilings that are extremely dangerous because they are making anti-Semitic rhetoric almost normative. Elon Omar not only uses anti-Semitic tropes, anti-Semitic anti accusations, Jews, Jews control the world with their money, and Jews buy off elected officials. Amazingly, she almost quotes verbatim from some of the most vile anti-Semitic tracts. For example, her famous comment that Israel hypnotizes the world. We looked that up. Hypnotizes the world. That's a strange comment. It comes from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, the infamous uh, Tsarist era forgery that led to so many Jews dying, being murdered through this uh, fraudulent accusation that the Jews are trying to gain global control. And the fact that it's coming from elected officials is extremely disturbing. And, and Mike, can I also tell you what's even more disturbing is how they hide behind the fact that they are uh, women of color and therefore are being attacked. I have no issue with Elon Omar's faith whatsoever. I wear a yarmulke. 
I celebrate the fact that she celebrates her faith. I see no color in people. I only see the image of God imprinted on people. I have a problem with the fact that she hates Jews, period. Why do not even the Jewish Democrats in Congress call her out openly and publicly and ask her to recant these uh, statements that, that I think are harmful? I'm not even Jewish, but to me, these are terrible things to say uh, about Jewish people. You're not Jewish, but you're an honorary Jew. You're a great <laughs> friend, supporter, and defender of our people, and, and just know how grateful we truly are. But I'll tell you why she's not being called out, even by Jewish members of Congress, because this is an age where partisanship comes before principle. And it's quite amazing to me that party loyalty trumps even our deepest convictions. The fact is that 75 years ago, 10,000 Jews per day, per day, were put into gas chambers and their lungs were filled with Zyklon B gas and they were murdered, 1.5 million children. This happened in the lifetime of most of our parents. This is not long ago and we have to be extremely vigilant when we hear the kind of rhetoric that could, God forbid, demonize the Jewish people yet again. And what Hitler basically said is that the Jews are parasites, the Jews are trying to take over the world, the Jews are responsible for Germany's uh, defeat in the First World War, and he scapegoated the Jews. So whenever we hear the Jews being scapegoated, Israel today is an occupier, Israel today is guilty of all of the strife and the conflict in the Middle East, Israel today profits off the backs of innocent Palestinians, which is brutalizes. These are all not just lies, they are horrible lies, and they lead to the demonization of the Jewish people. They lead to the cheapening of Jewish life. So let's be clear. Elon Omar, Rashida Tlaib, they're not just using tropes that are uh, ugly and yet not harmful. They are extremely harmful. Talk about a historical revisionism that's going on. When a member of Congress can say that Jesus was a Palestinian, I mean, is this some sort of game? First of all, it's insulting to all Christians because the Christian faith bases itself, the New Testament is based on the Hebrew Bible. And so much of Christianity is based on Jewish principles. So it's a fundamental assault even on the character of Christianity and we don't hear enough of a protest. The BDS movement, boycott, divestiture, sanctions, been very harmful economically to Israel, but it's also a stupid idea that perhaps hurts Palestinians as much as, as even more. Why do people in America keep pushing this ridiculous effort uh, that punishes the very people they supposedly are championing? Make no mistake, Governor. BDS is not an attempt to stand up for Palestinian rights. If it were an attempt to stand up for Palestinian rights, it would punish Hamas for their honor killings, honor killings against innocent Palestinian women. It would punish Hamas for their, for their, their assault, their brutal assault on, uh, on gay Palestinians who have to run to Israel for any kind of protection. And whatever anyone feels about the issue, they are God's children and cannot be murdered. And that happens under Hamas, or, they would, or, or BDS would protest the kleptocracy that's been set up by Mahmoud Abbas, who's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, or his predecessor, Yasser Arafat, who died a billionaire. Think about this. The freedom fighter who yeah. died a billionaire, whose wife, Suwa, till today lives in a penthouse in Paris. So let's be clear. BDS is about the an economic annihilation of the state of Israel. During the Second World War, Winston Churchill was certain that Britain could defeat the Wehrmacht. Uh, you know, he didn't fear that, that Germany could pull off a successful invasion, Operation Lionheart, of the British Isles. He also didn't even fear the Battle of Britain. He believed that ultimately the Royal Air Force could defeat the Luftwaffe. What he most feared was the economic destruction of Britain through the U-boats sinking the Merchant Marine. So what Israel's enemies are trying to do, having not defeated Israel, thank on the, on the battlefield, is to starve Israel, to boycott Israel, to ensure that Israel can have no industry, can have no jobs, that Israeli workers cannot, ha cannot ha uh, pay the electricity bill, can't pay for water and food. That's what BDS is. It's an attempt to annihilate Israel. And only by being clear about what it is and the hypocrisy. You know, Governor, I was debating uh, a, a very vocal, uh, 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 someone who attacks Israel daily on, on the news, and he was saying we have to boycott Israel. And then I see him pull out his iPhone, and I said to him, you know, with all due respect, your iPhone's manufactured in China, which has been occupying Tibet since 1951. You couldn't give a darn, because this isn't about the, the Palestinians and rights. This is about anti-Semitism. It's Jew hatred, pure and simple. Well, my thanks to you, Rabbi Shmuley Boateik, for joining us. And, and I want to tell our audience, you can find out a lot more about this incredible man and his many books, his latest articles online 
at shmuley.com. It's on the screen, so you spell it right, shmuley.com. You'd also find him on Facebook. Look for at Rabbi Shmuley Botaic and on Twitter at Rabbi Shmuley. Now, you can also find Keith Bilbrey waiting anxiously over at his stand to tell us what we have coming up next. So, Keith, take it away. I cannot wait. Journey's Jonathan Kane is here to perform next. Huckabee's back in 60 seconds. My next guest was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017. You know him as a member of the rock band Journey. He wrote and co-wrote some of the band's biggest hits, including a little song that you might have heard called Don't Stop Believin'. Another one called Faithfully and Open Arms. He recently released his fourth solo album called More Like Jesus. Please welcome Jonathan Cain. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. What a thrill to have you here. My pleasure. My pleasure. I, I gotta believe that being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was an extraordinary honor, thrill, and joy. It really was, and, and the fans made it happen for us. Thank you all you fans that <laughs> voted for us. We were the number one band voted in that year. Um, I think, but most importantly, I got to thank the Lord Jesus Christ in front of 30 million people. Which is pretty amazing pretty that you great. would take that risk mm. because a lot of people who are in the entertainment world right never want folks to know that they love Jesus. Mm. You're not ashamed of that, are you? Well, I tell you what, my father raised me uh, as a very devout Catholic and, and showed me how to pray at an early age. And uh, was, the most important thing was a personal relationship with Christ. You know, I, I think one of the amazing things when I hear the songs that you're doing, and one that you and I are going to get to play on here in a minute, these are songs that are worship songs. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people don't know is that the guy out there singing in front of a million people last year in person with Journey is also a worship pastor in a church. That's right. And my, uh, <laughs> my wife, Pastor White uh, Kane, Pastor Paula White Kane out there somewhere. Um, <laughs> you know, I started on a cruise ship. I was, um, she needed a praise leader. And I, she said, can you learn six songs in a week? You know, <laughs> and I don't get to sing lead in Journey. Um, and something happened that morning when I, drag my piano on the ship, you know. I really felt a fulfillment uh, come over me by leading praise. And, and then so I, I wanted to bring in, you know, my sort of personality and my rock and roll and, and infuse it with music about the Lord. What I always love about being around you is there's just this absolutely unflappable joy in your life. I mean, it's just Thank a you. delight to be around you. Thank you. Well, the my, only thing better yeah, is Paula. music. Oh, music. I was with Paula, yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> Good call on your part. But I was thinking, you know, the, the, the amazing things that you've done with music to bring joy and just energy to people's lives. So I think we ought to do one. And as Jonathan gets ready to perform, Keith is going to tell the people at home how they can purchase their own copy of what I'm holding in my hand. It's a brand new album. It's called More Like Jesus. You can find more information about Jonathan and his music on his website, jonathancainmusic.com. That's jonathancainmusic.com. More Like Jesus is available now on iTunes, Amazon, and wherever else music is sold. Be sure to go online after the show for another performance entitled Alive, exclusively on Huckabee.tv. And now, here to sing is Jonathan Cain.
Thank you so much. You blessed me tonight. Thank you.